Well, if you're our guest today, I just want to say a big personal welcome to you and let you know uh, that we love you. I know that might sound weird coming from a dude, if you're a dude, that we love you, but we really do in the sense that God loves you. He created you. He's got a good plan for your life, and he brought you into this moment to speak to you and to assure you that he wants to be in relationship with you, and that's why we exist as a church is to connect you into that good news of Jesus. Uh, in fact, that's the series we're in, is called Some Good News, and that's because the word that Jesus described over and over again to summarize his whole reason for coming as God down to planet Earth was this ancient word that is translated good news, or some churches call it the gospel. It's the same word, the good news is literally what it means. And so you've joined us in a series where we're really unpacking what does that look like and mean in our lives. And we're starting each week with some literal good news from around the world. This one this week is really cool because it's from homecoming last weekend right here in Brownsburg at Brownsburg High School. Now, a really amazing thing about the students at Brownsburg High School and the leadership there, as the homecoming court was elected and nominated, uh, the student body um, uh, included a young man and a young woman with some disabilities on the homecoming court. It was such a beautiful thing. And then it got even really, really more meaningful when the young football star, Jeremiah Clayton, who was elected as homecoming king, well, I just want you to see what he did in that moment. Go ahead and take a look. Jeremiah Clayton. Way to go, Jeremiah. Isn't that awesome? I love it. Jeremiah is showing and telling what it is to be a follower of Jesus. In fact, this is what he wrote on his social media when he sent that video. He quoted a Bible verse from the book of Acts, which says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. He's showing where God has placed him, the true path to greatness, following Jesus and serving others. What a great guy. And when I saw that, I thought, man, we could use some more Jeremiah Claytons in the world. We could use some more great people like that who use their position to serve others and to help others. 
I don't know about you, but it seems like more and more of the people around us are not great people, but difficult people. And I'm not trying to complain here. I just mean like as a trend, does, is it just me or does it seem like people are getting more difficult? Uh, I have a friend who uh, leads a large business in the area, has about 300 employees. And the other day he and I were talking, he said, John, pray for me because I'm in the secular marketplace and my employees know I'm a Christian, but a lot of my senior leaders, he said, they're just, they're kind of acting like toddlers lately. He was like, I don't know, ever since COVID hit, it's just like they're not at their best anymore. I think we're all seeing that in different ways. We're surrounded by difficult people, and the need for those great people is more pronounced than ever. Here's one of just a number of recent headlines that kind of show that this is a national trend going on. Why are so many passengers acting out on airlines right now? Uh, you've got all these uh, flight crews who are afraid every time they take off because people are just losing their tempers more. People have less self-control, it seems. I wonder, have you felt this way at all? Like the people around you are getting more difficult or just more on edge? I've heard three stories this last week from middle schoolers in our church who are doing their best in their schools to just love their peers to Jesus. One of them has a peer who's of a different religion, and the peer keeps telling her, as a sixth grade girl, you're a racist and you're a bigot because you're a Christian. And she keeps just trying to say, I'm just trying to be your friend. I'm just trying to be nice to you. Heard three stories like that this last week from our young people, and we experience it as adults as well. And so the question for those young people who are doing such a good job being intentional to follow Jesus in their schools, and the question for us is this, how can you be a great person in a world of difficult people? Again, I don't mean this to like complain like, oh, we're surrounded by such terrible people. I just mean it's a reality. Sometimes in our workplace, sometimes, don't elbow anyone, in our home, sometimes there's a difficult person. Sometimes in our neighborhood, sometimes in our school. How can you be a great person when you're surrounded by difficult people? And God's going to give us the answer to this today in a way that you can take this with you and you can follow Jesus on the path to greatness. And as he does, we're going to find the answer in the middle of this study of the good news. I'm actually going to take you into a chapter in the Gospel of Mark, which is where we've been studying. And this is the chapter that kind of the theologians and the experts, they say this story that we're about to hear this is really the summary, the pinnacle of the entire gospel of Mark, or the good news. And here's how it starts in verse 20. Jesus and the disciples were on their way up to Jerusalem. Now, here's what's significant about this. It's not like they're just on a road trip and they happen to be going to Jerusalem. Jesus, as Almighty God, has come to earth as the Messiah, meaning he's fully God, but he's taken on a human form, and he's going to reopen the gateway between heaven and earth. He's going to reconnect every human who believes in him back to God, giving us eternal life in heaven, but also giving us peace and joy in this life. Kind of a big deal, okay? He's going to Jerusalem because that's where he's going to be crucified during a religious festival called Passover. He's going to be the Passover lamb who will shed his blood for the forgiveness of the sins of all human history. Whole bunch of significance in that. You can dig into that in your life application study Bible. If you don't have one, go by our connection corner, or you can always text the word Bible to us. We love giving you a Bible that you love to read. Point is, Jesus is on a path 
to him being arrested, tortured, falsely accused, and ultimately executed as a criminal. And Jesus knows this. He's doing this voluntarily. As he's on the way to Jerusalem, he's passing through towns and villages, and he's doing incredibly dramatic miracles. Uh, if you uh, remember from your music class in middle school or wherever, there's a thing called the crescendo when it like slowly gets louder. Uh, that's essentially Jesus and the miracles, they get louder leading up to the crucifixion. So at this point, every time they get to a village or a town, everyone's out because word of mouth has traveled. They knew Jesus was coming and everyone's there. There's almost this electricity because everyone will come out and then Jesus would give sight to a person that they all knew was blind from birth. Or he'd raise someone from the dead. Or he'd be teaching and they'd all get hungry and he would miraculously multiply food. His miracles are getting really dramatic. So much so that the disciples, even though they've been with him for three years, they're astonished. And then all the people, this word afraid, it doesn't mean they were afraid like they thought he was going to hurt them. It means like when you tremble in awe. Uh, and I'll give you an example of this. I promise to show you guys some pictures later, but there's a guy in our church who owns a race team, and he knows I'm a car guy. And so he invited me to lunch. He said, meet me in the back parking lot. And I went back there, and it was a brand new yellow Lamborghini. And as a car guy, uh, he was like, you're driving. I was like, what? And I sat down, and I trembled a little bit <laughs> because of the amount of horsepower and the fact that that little car is worth more than my house. I trembled. That's the idea of like, as Jesus would enter these towns, there was just this supernatural awe, this electricity. And as this is happening, verse 32, he took the 12 disciples aside and he told them what was going to happen to, them, to him. Now, if you were here last week, this is going to sound like he's saying the exact same thing because it kind of is. He has to say it over and over. And here's how it goes. He says, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man, that's the title that Jesus used to refer to himself because it's the title that prophets Daniel and Ezekiel used for the Messiah. So every time he says, I'm the Son of Man, he's calling himself the Messiah. I will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn me to death. They will hand me over to the Gentiles who will mock me and spit on me. And flog me, that is when he was whipped, and then kill me. Three days later, I will rise again. Now last week, Jesus said a similar thing, and Jesus had three closest friends, Peter, James, and John. Last week when Jesus said this, Peter said, whoa, 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 no, Jesus. No, 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 come on, everyone loves us. What do you mean we have to go through suffering? That's not the plan. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. In other words, me going to the cross to pay for the sins of the world, that's the whole reason I came, and it's not easy. Peter, don't tempt me to not go to the cross, because this is hard, and I actually need you to be on my side and be supporting me and be helping me. Well, that was Peter. Now, here we are, a week or two later, and let's look at Jesus' other two closest friends, James and John. How do they respond when he's in the middle of this crisis? Verse 35, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Have you ever been there where like you're going through something very difficult and you share it with a close friend and they're like, yeah, well, about me, back about me again, you know? Have you ever been there? Or I joke about this with our kids because I, I love my kids to death. And let's be clear, all our kids are made in the image of God, okay? And Jesus loves them. However, 
There are times as a parent where you've worked a long day and you've done like, I mean, you got them ready for soccer, you paid all the things, you did all this, and you finally sit down and they walk up and they're like, Dad, can I have this? And you're like, oh my goodness. I've just been giving all day to you. Do you ever stop asking for things, right? I'm not saying that happens to me, but I hear it happens to people, okay? The point is, this has got to be how it feels for Jesus. He is willfully going into his own suffering to help others, and now his closest friends, they're really acting like kids, aren't they? Well, look at Jesus' response. What do you want me to do for you? I mean, he could have rebuked them. He could have put them in their place. He says, well, what is it that you want, James and John? They replied, verse 37, uh, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. So Jesus, you're saying you're going to go do this hard thing. I don't know. I don't really understand all that. But I know that in the end you win and that everyone's going to be worshiping you. So just can we skip to the good part? And Jesus, when you get there, we want to be your right hand guys. Like all they're thinking about is themselves and their place. And then look at this. Jesus says in verse 38, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? You're like, oh, that's weird. What's Jesus talking about? The cup he drinks is the cross. And we know this because the night before he was crucified in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus had this emotional moment where he was agonizing in prayer and he's sweating drops of blood. And he says, Father, if there's any other way to save her, if there's any other way to forgive him, he's thinking of you. He's thinking of your family. He's thinking of all humans who've ever lived. And he said, God, Father, if there's any other way to help them, to rescue them, let this cup of suffering pass from me. And when the Father says more or less, this is my will, this is my plan to redeem humanity, then Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done. So the cup is the cross. The baptism is the reality that he was buried in a tomb and then after three days, he rose from the dead. In fact, that's why when you choose to be a follower of Jesus and you publicly declare that in baptism, we baptize you. It's a picture of you dying to your old sin nature and being raised to new life, which is only possible because Jesus paved the way for that. So Jesus says, James, John, you guys are asking to be my right hand guys in heaven and for all eternity. Do you guys even understand what I'm about to do, and then I love their answer, verse 39. Yeah, we can drink your cup and we can be baptized like you are. <laughs> they just don't get it, right? And it's gonna sound like I'm being real hard on my kids today. I'm not trying to be, but this has happened as well, where I have like a 12 or 13 hour day and I get home and I'm like, oh guys, I'm so exhausted. And they'll be like, well, you know, we work too. Like we have to go to school, we have to do our chores. And Jesus' response here is actually, I've had times where uh, my elementary kids have told me that, and I've thought, you know what? You're right. You guys do work as well. And when they're in their 30s and have kids, they'll understand the difference between where they are now and what that is as a parent. But at their age, they don't understand the difference, and they do appreciate how hard I work. And I think in the same way, Jesus responds this way to the disciples. He's like, you know what, James and John? From your perspective, you're kind of right. You will drink a little bit of the cup that I drink. Uh, because Jesus knows that James will go on as a follower of Jesus. He's going to end up being beheaded by Herod in Rome. 
uh, John will end up getting arrested for being a follower of Jesus and will live out his life on an island, prison island, where he writes the book of Revelation. So Jesus seeing the future is kind of like this parental moment of like, yeah, you know what? Not the same, but a little bit. Yes, you guys will. And you guys will raise from the dead someday. But verse 40, to sit at my right or my left, positions of honor in eternity, that's actually not for me to grant, Jesus says in his earthly form. These places belong to those for whom they were prepared. Now, check this out, verse 41. The other 10 are nearby, because remember, Jesus had pulled the 12 aside. James and John are essentially like, hey, who gets shotgun? I want shotgun. And then James and John start fighting about it, and Jesus is talking to them. The other 10 here, and they become indignant. They're like, whoa, 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 James and John. Why did James or John get shotgun? I want shotgun. Right? Like, I want to be at Jesus' right hand. I want to be in the position of honor. So let's just zoom back out. Jesus is on this path to suffering. He's surrounded by difficult people and that he's got these enemies who want to kill him. Then there's this band of people who right now, they love him, they're calling him Messiah, but he knows that at the flip of a switch, they're all going to turn on him and they're all going to be saying, crucify him. Then are his closest friends. And what are his closest friends doing in this moment? They're acting like toddlers. They're just acting like kids. And so Jesus finds himself in the middle of this squabble, in our house we call them stupid fights, right? When it's just like, who, who, who gets shotgun? That's a stupid fight. That's just a stupid fight, right? The disciples are in the middle of one, and, and Jesus, I just want you to think of, he's fully God, yes, but think of the humanity. He felt all the feelings you feel, hunger, loneliness, fear, every feeling you feel, rejection, he has felt those, and here he is on this road to suffering. His closest friends are just squabbling about who gets to sit up front, more or less. Verse 42, Jesus is going to say, here's how you be great in a world of difficult people. Jesus calls them together. Gather up, guys. Stop, stop your fighting. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, which in their mind was non-spiritual people, the pagans, well, they use their position of authority to lord it over the people under them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Right? They're going to use their position to tax and to control and to make their life as comfortable as they can. Now listen close because Jesus is about to reveal the unexpected path to greatness. Here it is. Not so with you. Everyone around you claws their way to the top. They use their position at work or in their family to make their life better, no matter how it hurts the people around them. As my followers, you're going to flip that upside down. Instead, whoever wants to be great, the path to greatness, must become your servant. Now, the disciples lived in a culture where there were servants and there were slaves, and they knew what a servant was. That when an owner of a house would get home, the servant would wash their feet. The servant would do the menial tasks. The servant would live their life to serve others. Now Jesus is going to take it up another level, and he says this. Whoever wants to be first. You guys are all arguing about first place? You really want first place in my kingdom? Then become the slave of all. For even the Son of Man, I did not come to be served, Jesus says, but to serve 
and to give my life as a ransom for many. I've come to serve people by meeting their deepest need in a way that a lot of them don't even understand or appreciate. And they reject me and they're gonna mock me and hurt me and even kill me on my path to serving them. But this is the true path to greatness. Serving others from heart that is serving God. You notice how Jesus, the things he teaches, they're paradoxical. It's like the way all humans think over history, he flips it upside down. This is part of what makes following Jesus so radical. There's no other religious system that teaches this. There's no other religious system that teaches this that had a leader who laid down his life to prove it. This is just not an idea. Almighty God who created and who gives us breath, who gives us life, says you're going to experience divinity. You're going to experience the nature of God when you start to see yourself as one who provides for the people around you rather than just one who takes. I wonder, first question for you today, have you received what Jesus came to do for you? Have you had a moment in your life where you've believed that Jesus is God, that he died for you and rose again? If you haven't yet, you can do that today. And then for all of us who are followers of Jesus, do we need this reminder? I know I needed it as I studied this passage. Like, oh, this is my life now, is following Jesus by serving others from a heart that's actually serving God. Jesus is saying here that essentially there's two kinds of people in the world. There are those who step on others to get power, and there are those who serve others by giving up their power. Jesus obviously is the second one. Now, I know from my experience, and I'm pretty confident the same will be true for you, that if you try to just do this in your own strength, uh, you'll maybe succeed for a few days or hours or minutes, and then you'll revert back to this. The beautiful thing about what Jesus did is he didn't only come to serve us, but then as we believe in him and follow him, he transforms us. So it's not that Jesus was just one great person in a world of difficult people, but he came and he provided a way that difficult people like me can follow him and be transformed into great people because he does a transforming work in our lives and in our hearts. It's almost like that old saying, maybe you've heard it, uh, you can teach a person to fish and they'll eat for their whole life. Or you can give them one fish and they'll just eat for one day. Jesus didn't just come to give help to a few people. He came to teach us how to learn a new way of life, and then it multiplies to the people around us. And Jesus, actually, what he did is he unleashed a chain reaction of people who would follow him. So James, John, and Peter, who were difficult people, who were immature people, they kept following Jesus, and he transforms them. And then they would lead other people to Jesus, difficult people, and he would transform them. And that chain continues all the way to here. I mean, this building is here. The people are here because we are the next links in that chain of just broken, normal, immature, and difficult people who've believed in Jesus, and he is transforming us. I wonder of these two, which one have you been lately in your home with your spouse and your kids? Which one have you been lately in your school or in your place of work? Which one have you been lately in your neighborhood? 
Here's what we're learning from the Gospel of Mark. Last week, we saw the path to greatness. It does lead through suffering. We don't like that. We want the greatness without the suffering. But Jesus taught that this world is broken by evil and sin. That's why our bodies die. That's why wars exist. That's why abuse and hatred and racism exist. And for us to follow Jesus in greatness, we have to fight against that evil by overcoming evil with good. And there will be times when it's hard. Today we're learning that the path to greatness is marked by serving others from a heart that is serving God. Well, theologians say this chapter summarizes the, the gospel of Mark. And so one way to summarize the good news is this. The most powerful being in the universe, the one who created you, he has gone out of his way to serve you. And to serve you by not just giving you what you want, but by giving you what you actually need. You have deeper needs. I have deeper needs that, you know, sometimes I think, well, if I get this next thing or that achievement or that relationship, I'll be happy. He loves me. He sees me and he knows I have deeper needs to be connected to the source of life in the universe, the creator of life. And he came to meet your deepest needs. That's good news. Here's the summary. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and give his life a ransom. What does that word mean, ransom? Uh, in our modern context, it typically it would be if someone was kidnapped and the kidnapper is like holding the kid hostage and the parents or the grandparents, the family has to pay money to buy back their own kid. That's what this word means. And to Jesus' audience, they would have known this word ransom in the context of a slave market. Slavery is a horrific evil that flies in the face of God's nature because God made all humans in his image and all are to be dignified and treated uh, with an equality of everyone is made in the image of God. However, because this world is broken by sin, slavery has been a stain on human history in almost every civilization and culture in history. Ancient Rome had slaves. Ancient Greece had slaves. Uh, ancient Egypt had slaves. And so Jesus who did not condone slavery, him and his audience would have known what slavery looked like. And they would have known this term where someone who has compassion on a slave would buy that slave from their master. You see, slaves had deeds, almost like a house or a car would have a deed or a title. And a person with compassion or affection, they could pay the price to the owner of that slave. They could get the deed or the title and then give it and write in there, this person now owns themselves. And what Jesus is saying is whether we realize it or not, we are slaves to the fear of death. We're all afraid to die. We're slaves to sin. We all do things that are hurtful to the people around us and sometimes we can't stop ourselves. The whole counsel of God says we're even slaves in a sense to Satan who's the prince of this world. And what Jesus says, I'm going to die on the cross. My blood will pay the ransom, the cost, to set you free from that slavery that you used to have. God chose to become a slave and then pay the price for your freedom. Why did he do this? He did this because he loves you. He did this because he wants you living a free life for all of eternity. And one of the greatest proofs of Christianity 
Um, I was a skeptic for a season. I used to be an investigative reporter, and I didn't believe. But as I studied the impact of Jesus and his followers on history, one of the things I saw that was unexpected is that where his followers go, slavery ends. I'm not saying all his followers are perfect. There's been a lot of messed up people in history who claim to be Christians. But as a trend, where his followers go, slavery ends. And that's why we're born into a world where slavery is no longer a norm. Because one out of three people in the world today claims to be a Christian. They're not all perfect, believe me. But one out of three claims to be. I want to show you an example of someone following Jesus on the path to greatness. This is Mary Slessor. Mary Slessor was born in Scotland. She could have lived a very comfortable life there in Scotland, but she became a follower of Jesus. And as a follower of Jesus, she would attend these church meetings and learn about what we call missions. That is essentially going to places where people haven't heard about Jesus yet. And as she did that, and as she served in some orphanages there in Scotland, orphanages that had been started by other Christians, she heard about these tribes in a country called Nigeria. And these tribes had never heard the word Jesus before. And Mary Slessor just felt this calling that she was supposed to go to Nigeria. So she did. She gave up getting married, having kids, all the kind of American dream or Scottish dream in her case, I guess. She gave up all that stuff. She goes to Nigeria to tell people about Jesus. And when she gets there, she learns that there is this horrific tradition among the tribes at that time in Nigeria. The tradition was that they thought that any time twins were born, that the twins were a sign of evil. And so they would kill both of the twins anytime twins were born, and they would kill the mother of the twins because these witch doctors would say they're bringing evil into the tribe. So Mary saw this and she realized Jesus didn't just send me to tell them about Jesus. He sent me to save the lives of these twins and their mothers. And so she set up orphanages there in Nigeria, and they were safe houses. When twins were born, they could come to one of Mary Slessor's orphanages, and so could the mom. And God had wired her in such a way. She was this kind of redheaded, fiery woman. And these, these chiefs and warriors would sometimes come to her and be like, let us in. We have to kill these kids or the moms. And she would stand her ground. And God protected her. And over the course of decades, she ended up saving the lives of thousands of these children, of thousands of moms. And not only that, as she did this over the course of decades, the tribes of Nigeria started to understand, as they saw those twins grow up and be good people, uh, that their witch doctors had misled them, that this tradition for hundreds of years was not, in fact, true. And, of course, in Nigeria today, twins are, are no longer killed. And Mary Slessor, you can trace this through history, is a huge part of that. What's the point? She followed Jesus on the path to greatness. She was willing to lay down her life and serve others. And when we do this, yes, it helps people spiritually, but it actually helps our world. But it's hard to be a great person in a world of difficult people. We can only do it by following Jesus. I want to show you an example as I encourage you that God has placed you where you are so you can do this here in Hendricks County. You can do this wherever you live if you're watching online. You can follow Jesus in this way on the path to greatness. I want to show you a young couple from our church where they started following Jesus right here where we live. And as they've done that, he's called them 
to go to a place where a lot of people haven't heard about Jesus. Now, as you hear their story, you might think, whoa, that's dramatic. I could never do that. Um, You'd be surprised. You can do it if you keep following Jesus. But the point is not where they're going. The point is the heart of surrender. And I want you to hear in their story the joy that as they lay down their lives to serve others, there's a joy, there's a fulfillment, there's a purpose. Go ahead and take a look. My name is Ryan. And I'm Rachel. And we are missionaries with crew serving in the Middle East. The Middle East really stood out to me, not only as a place void of Christians, void of believers who will share their faith, but also void of people wanting to go there. It's a difficult soil. I just think about the students over there and they don't even have an opportunity to hear the gospel. You know, God created them. He created you and you and me. And he created them to know him and to love him and to glorify him, but they don't. And that's because they can't even slip into a church and hear the gospel. They can't get a Bible. They don't know that you can download a Bible to your phone. And if they do, they're like, well, what do I do with it? And so I just think about, is it Romans 10, 14? Romans 10, like, how are they supposed to believe if they don't hear? How are they supposed to hear unless someone goes and tells them? And so that's a big driving force for me is just giving these students an opportunity to hear the gospel. When you think about that pivotal time in your life when you were making big life decisions, odds are some of the biggest decisions you made were between the age of like 15 and 25. Who am I? What am I gonna believe? Who am I gonna marry? What am I gonna do? And so we intentionally try to put ourselves on college campuses. Sometimes that just honestly looks like us randomly walking around and praying, Lord, who would you have me talk to today? Well, that person's sitting by themselves on a bench, so I'm gonna go over and start a relationship with them, sit down, And every conversation simply starts with, hello, what's your name? This is mine. Find things you have in common. They're away from a lot of the people who knew them. They feel a little safer, a little more rebellious. They can ask somebody, so uh, what does the Bible say? And when we're the first Christian they've ever met, we'll be the first ones to hear that question. We want to be the people who hear that question because we want to be the ones who say, oh, well, why don't you read the Bible with me and find out? Where we are, we can be a Christian. They expect that. They actually expect you to be a Christian as an American because for them, to be a local means you are a Muslim. It's stamped in your passport at birth. So they believe that to be an American means you're stamped Christian at birth. Now, conversion, especially for a local, that's legal. That's a big no. To go onto a campus and evangelize, that's a big no. And for us, the risk of getting arrested that's a reality every day. The risk of being thrown in an interrogation cell, it's a reality that some of us have experienced. Um, however, if I get arrested and they open up my cell phone, they'll see every person that I've texted, all the people I've talked to, the people who were studying the Bible with. And for them, there is the real risk, not just of going to jail, but even losing their life. And we have students tell us, if my parents ever knew what I was doing, I could lose my life. And there have been times where we've contemplated, do we have to evacuate students that we minister to, get them to Europe, because it may not be safe for them to exist there anymore. We've seen a lot happen over these past few years. We are seeing the start of a new era in the Middle East, where this level of openness among this new generation of men and women is going to result in many coming to Christ. Churches starting to form in a whole new generation of believers. We've had dozens of students read through scripture with us. We've had 
thousands of spiritual conversations. You're seeing not just people come to Christ, but then take the gospel, go to their brother, share the gospel of him, he comes to Christ. Guess what? He goes to school the next day, shares the gospel that he just believed the day before with his best friend. Guess what? He just led that guy to Christ. This is happening over there. It's mind-blowing. And that gets me really excited. It just leaves me in a space of awe because anybody can share the gospel. Um, but we're the ones who felt the call and have stepped up to go. We're the ones that God gets to use in that place. We just applaud Ryan and Rachel in there. What are they doing? They're very simply following Jesus on the path of greatness to serve. Now, don't get hung up on the geography. You might think, man, what they're doing is so big and significant. The geography where God has placed you matters just as much. And I don't want you to get hung up on what part of the world, because the point is the geography of the heart. Are you just surrendered to say, Jesus, I will follow your path to greatness, your example of serving right where you've placed me. You start in your school. You start with your family. You can start by serving here on weekends. Serve where he has placed you. I wonder, have you ever chosen that you will join Jesus in this way? Have you ever chosen that you're going to give your life in serving God to ransom others? Now, this happens just one step at a time. For me, when I was a, a journalist and I started reading the Bible and I started to love it and I was teaching it in small groups, I thought, I will never be a pastor. When someone said, would you ever be a pastor? I was like, oh, no way, no way. I just kept serving right where I was. And I just kept obeying God one step at a time. And did you know, it's not more spiritual to be a pastor or a missionary. What's spiritual is to be surrendered and living life where the answer to this question is yes. Maybe you're a business owner. Maybe you're an air conditioning technician. Or maybe you're a teacher. Or you're a coach. You're a mom. You're a dad. And what God has called you to in your life, you go about it from a heart and a motive that says, I'm here to serve people because I love God. And I'm going to join Jesus in seeing that this world is temporary and I'm here to connect as many people to God as I can while I'm here. How do you start? Very simple. Serve the people where God has already placed you. It's not us going in and saying, hey, we've got it all figured out. It's us serving like Jesus did. Loving unconditionally, even when people misunderstand us, even when people mistreat us. Serve the people where God has already placed you. What does that look like right now? It looks a lot like this. It looks like a senior in high school who's a follower of Jesus saying, I'm in this position not for my ego, but to connect others to God and to show the heart of God. I've thought about this moment. I thought, you know, when Jeremiah Clayton is 48 years old or 58 years old, there's probably a lot of plays from that homecoming football game that right now are a big deal, that 30, 40 years from now, he won't remember some of those plays from the football game. But you know what he's going to remember? He's going to remember this, because this is the path to greatness. And when we walk the path to greatness, yes, there's sacrifice. There's humbling of ourselves, but there's also fulfillment and satisfaction that cannot be found any other way. You know, there's part of you that will only be fully satisfied when you're serving others from a heart that's serving God. 
By the way, this is something that's lost on a lot of uh, non-believers around us who we love them and God loves them, but they're uh, believing that life's just about get as much money as you can, get as much fame as you can, uh, make your life better, and people get that and they find that it's, it's emptier than they thought. Why? Because there's part of you that will only be fully satisfied when you're serving others. Why is that? Because you're made in the image of God, the God who created, the God who gives, the God who, if you go all the way back to Genesis, he spent six days working to create creation and one day resting. That rest and that time where you recharge is important, but if you spend your whole life just you recharging and taking care of yourself, you're going to be deeply unsatisfied. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells a story about our time on earth and then when we stand before him. And he looks back on our life. And the whole point of the story is that when we follow Jesus' example of serving others because we're serving God, he will tell us, well done, good and faithful servant. Same word, servant. Your health, your abilities, the special talents you have, the resources you've been given, as you grow in your maturity as a follower of Jesus, you start to realize none of this is really mine. God entrusted this mind to me or these dollars to me or this health. He entrusted it to me so I can use it to serve the people around me and connect them to God. I wonder in your life, what unique things has God entrusted to you? Maybe you have athletic ability. Maybe God has given you an ability to make money. Maybe he's given you an ability to communicate. I think of my daughter, Evie, she has this ability. When someone needs a hug, she can just sense it. And she'll go up to you and she'll hug you. That's a gift that God gave to her. And when I pray for her at night, I pray, God, would you use that gift to hug people who are hurting and bring them to Jesus? What gifts has God given you to be used in this work in the world? There's a guy named Sir John Templeton who was born into rural poverty Shortly before the Great Depression, he grew up a very difficult lifestyle, but God gave him a, an ability, a gift to make money. He became an investor, and then he actually became one of the wealthiest people in the last 100 years, simply from stock market investing. And as he grew a reputation about this, many of the world's richest people would give their money to him to manage because he was so good at it. There's a book he wrote about life called The Templeton Plan. And in the book, he describes that as a Christian, essentially, the teachings of Jesus work out as he went through his entire life, that the teachings of Jesus are true. And one of the things he says in there is this, true fulfillment in life is found in production, not consumption. I'll explain that in a minute, but what he's saying is this, as he had clients who were multi-multi-millionaires, and as he became a billionaire himself, he realized that many of these wealthiest people were incredibly unsatisfied because they thought that it was just all about themselves. But as a Presbyterian little boy in Sunday school, he'd been taught the teachings of Jesus, and he realized what Jesus said is true. True greatness is found in serving, in producing. So here's an example. Is it fun to go to Disneyland? Absolutely. Does God want you to go to Disneyland? I hope so. It's a great thing, right? But imagine you being at Disneyland for 300 days in a row. And that's it. No break. All you're doing is consuming. 
after a while, it's going to actually get kind of weird and annoying. What is producing? Producing is when someone is engaged with their hands and they're building something that helps the people around them. In the model, God gives it to us in Genesis, six days of producing to help others, one day of consuming to recharge yourself. That's the path to fulfillment as well as the path to greatness. Well, I want to close by just giving you guys some really, really simple ways that today you can step onto this path of greatness following Jesus by serving others from a heart that serves God. Of course, take this into your home. Take this into your school. I want to give you some ways here in our church family that you can do this. And the best way to show how simple this is is to introduce you to a beautiful family in our community. I got to meet this family this last spring. They had moved to the area, and their son Lennox plays soccer on the same recreational soccer team as my son Jack. And so as I took Jack to soccer practices, I got to know Kevin, Lennox's dad, who's an Air Force recruiter. And I got to know his sister, Noelle, and his mom, Jeremy. And they had a great soccer season, awesome, awesome coach who actually attends here as well. And it's just a great team, a bunch of just great young people. And as the soccer season was ending in the spring, I thought, you know, it'd be fun to just have a party and get the whole team together and just celebrate these kids. So we had the party. And while we were at the party, I was just talking with Kevin and Jeremie, and I said, hey, um, do you guys go to church anywhere? They said, you know, we moved here recently. We've tried a few places, but nothing has really stuck. And I said, well, there's this great church in town. I've heard about it. It's called Connection Point. And the whole point of the church is to connect people to Jesus and to others. And I just said, you know, if you guys want to check it out, feel free. Kids usually love the kids' ministry and uh, no pressure, but feel free. Well, they came, and right when they came is when our new Latino small group was just forming, and they were looking for that. And then their son, Lennox, got in the same small group with my son, Jack. Their daughter, Noelle, is just loving being in Kid City. And the point is this, right where God has placed you, the teams that your kids are on, that's where we serve. The neighborhood you're in, the workplace you're in. I got so excited about this. Uh, they're such an amazing family. I got thinking, what if every Connection Point family that has a kid in sports would throw a party at the end of the season for their team and just within the party, not preach a sermon or anything, but just let the other parents know, hey, there's a place where you're loved and we help you parent. And if you're ever looking for a church, come to Connection Point. I got so excited about this that we're starting a little initiative called Have a Party on Us. I kid you not. We want to provide for you to have a party. You text the word party to us. And here's the thing. If you're like, man, I'd love to do that, but I don't have the square footage, we'll give you space in our gymnasium. If you're like, I'd love to do that, but I can't afford to buy pizzas for a whole soccer team, we'll give you the money to buy the pizzas. We believe in you and that God has placed you right where you are to serve others with a heart that is serving God. And I just think... What would it look like if every one of us who has a daughter on softball or a son in baseball or a kid in soccer or football, what if all of us uh, talked to the coach and just said, hey, I'd love to throw a party um, and, and just let these families know that, that we love them. So if you want to do that, text the word party. Yeah, that's cool, right? We can celebrate that. That, by the way, is a big part of what drew me to Connection Point. This is a church of people that you guys are living that way. And I just want to say, way to go. We're here to resource you in doing that. Well, a couple other ways that you can start serving if you're like, I want to follow Jesus on the path to greatness, you can throw a party. 
You can text the word serve if you want to become a regular server here, running a camera or greeting at the front door or serving in Kids City, hundreds of ways to serve around here. Christmas, we've got a lot of opportunities. Missions. If that video of Ryan and his wife spoke to you, text the word missions to us because we have short-term trips around the world, but we also have teams of us who every month send care packages to the 26 missionaries. And of course, when you give here, you're keeping all of this running. Those 26 missionaries around the world uh, have financing and food and all the resources they need because of our regular giving. You can also stop by our serve booth out in the lobby any weekend. Stop by that serve booth and we will uh, help get you plugged in. All right. Now to end, I want to invite you to pray a prayer out loud with me. It's a very short prayer. I'm going to put it up on the screen and let you process it here. Okay. What we're praying in this prayer is very simply we're telling God, Um, God, I want to follow Jesus on the path to greatness. I want to learn to serve the people around me from a heart that is serving you. And when we say, I want to serve in ransoming others, that just means very simply, I want to rescue. I want to reach other people for you, Jesus. So if you're agreeing with that, then I would invite you right now to just read this out loud with me uh, and go ahead and project it out as much as you believe it, okay? God, this week, I give you my life to serve in ransoming others for you. We pray that for you. Father, I thank you for every precious soul in this room and watching online with us and over in the point. Jesus, we thank you that you came not to be served, but to serve. We thank you that you have met our deepest needs. And Lord, I pray for anyone in here today who's got needs that are unmet, that they would look to you to meet those. Jesus, as we follow you, you've reminded us today that it's not really about us or our own comfort or consumption. You've actually invited us onto the path of greatness, the path of greatness where we serve others, even in sacrificial ways, because we're actually serving you. We're not living for the approval of people. They might not even understand us. They might misjudge us, but we're living for the approval of heaven. Jesus, would you put the true servant heart in us that you model? Would you transform us to become more like you? And Lord, I pray as parents, spouses, and employees, and students, as neighbors, that in this next week, we would see the people around us as you see them. We'd serve them from a heart of love and a heart that's serving you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.